Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fanti, the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I'm a bish. I'm a lover. I'm a child. I'm a mother. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. <laughs> I do not feel ashamed, Jared Hill. Turned into its own thing now. I can't even. I can't I, even I say thought anything. of it earlier. I thought of it earlier today. I was like, I feel like this is brilliant. I'm gonna go I for can't. it. And I am entertainment journalist and editor Travel Anderson. Welcome back to the pod. Coming up on the show today, we are going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the Sex in the City spinoff and just like that with a very special guest. But first. We've got our past the Popcorn segment, our opportunity to talk about some things that y'all are talking about on the social medias. And in the spirit of reboots and whatnot, a few weeks ago, the trailer for the new iteration of The Proud Family dropped. It'll be on Disney Plus, and the full title this go-around is The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. So for fans of the OG animated series, there was a lot of commentary on the trailer, um, but nothing more than the theme song. Now, if you're like like me, you remember this iconic song as sung by Destiny's Child featuring Destiny's Children. Take a listen. All right, so many of us hoped that they would bring back the OGs for the reboot. But apparently the budget couldn't afford them or something. That's my reason, at least. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That's my reasoning. Okay, so the new theme for the show, it's the same song, but they've kind of like remixed it. And it's sung by a young artist by the name of Joyce Rice. And I got thoughts. But first, take a listen to a piece of it from this featurette they did on the new song. So you'll hear, um, and in it, you'll hear the voice of Ralph Farquhar, who's one of the show's creators, talking about what they were trying to accomplish. It's exciting. It's hopeful. It captures the spirit of the Proud family. At the same time, it retains the feeling of the original. So, Jared, give me give me your thoughts. I see you nodding your head. In a, in a positive, it looks like. Well, I decidedly didn't listen to it until right now. Like, I wanted to hear it for the first time as we were discussing it. It doesn't feel as bright as the other one. It feels a little darker, but also gives me, like, uh, 2000s-y's R&B kind of, like, mm. vibe made for a TikTok generation. Which is probably exactly what it is. Well... <laughs> I mean, the original song is completely iconic. There's no way to touch it, be better, improve upon it. So, like, I'm not mad at it. It didn't hit me right away, but we'll see what it does over the next few weeks. It might grow on me. It's interesting you mentioned that because when I first heard it a few weeks ago when we decided that we wanted to talk about it, I wasn't feeling it. I was very upset. I was like, who is this little young child coming out here trying to do her, put her little, her little twang on, on the Proud Family <laughs> theme song? But in the weeks since... I'm kind of like, you know what? It's kind of cute. Like, you know, it's like, hitting. I could get it's with ha- it. It's hitting for you? I could get with it now. You know, like, it's grown on me. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's not, quote unquote, better than the OG version. But right. I think that's also I mean, because be the OG... Right. I think that's also because the OG version is, you know, the icon, soul angel, right? And Destiny's children. But I... I'm cool with this version that Joyce Rice has given us. I feel like it is, like, to your point, I feel like it it definitely kind of reinterprets the song for a today audience. Yeah. While also maintaining some of that je ne sais quoi that we love about the original. I'm enjoying it. I feel like the Disney Channel uh, has actually been a very contentious conversation on this show. Um, So I'm not going to dip into my own drama here. But like, I I enjoy what it's giving. And I mean, I wasn't, I didn't watch like The Proud Family all the time because I didn't have the Disney Channel. But I did watch a good amount of it. And like, even nowadays, like when I'm on La Cienega, I, I see La Cienega yes. Boulevard and I think of La Cienega Boulevard as, right? Like I yes. always think about those things. And so uh, it's it's fun to see what they will do with it. So Jared, what is your favorite Proud Family character? I would say probably 
I mean, Penny, like, I don't have, like, that much connection to the show. I just remember the theme song. And, <laughs> oh, and I it. remember um, Sugar Mama. Sugar Mama, like, being Jumri Pat Payton. Like, yes. I appreciated that. And I always loved those clips of her. Like, and I feel like in the early days of gifts and memeing, I feel like there were some gifts from the Proud family with her and with Penny. So, like, I enjoyed that. But, like, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't really my show. What about you? Well, you know, I love BBW. So, I'm going with Dijonay. Okay. my girl. Okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, Drake, I need you to chill. Uh, you're doing a lot. <laughs> um, I will say, though, like, as far as Disney Channel reboots have gone, the reboot that I don't feel like gets enough appreciation, and to be clear, I don't even really watch it, but, like, I enjoyed it when I did. My favorite show on Disney Channel was uh, That's So Raven. And when mm-hmm. Raven's Home came back, I was yes. like, but what is this theme song going to give, sis? What are we talking about? <laughs> so take a listen to the, the theme song from the reboot. Yeah, let me tell you something. Had my vision all worked out, but then life had other plans. Right. It's crazy when things turn upside down, but you gotta get up and take that chance. Maybe I'm just finding my way. Yeah, yeah we're gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah, it might be wild, but you know that we make it work. We're just kids caught up in a crazy world. Come it's on. Crazy. So it starts off a little, you know, it's like, oh, this is fine. But then, like, somewhere in the middle, it picks up, and I'm like, this is heading for me. I'm in. And, like, I'm, like, humming it walking down the hall, like, about it being Raven's home. So, like, I'm willing to give this Proud Family reboot song a little bit of breathing room. Yeah. We gonna see. The Blues Clues reboot hit for me. Wow. Well, maybe this will work for me, too. Well, you know what? The show, the the first season of The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, comes out on Disney Plus February 23rd. I will be watching. Hopefully you all will as well. But we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we are going to get... Oh, I should, I should switch that up and I should say... And just like that, we're going to go to a break. And when we come back... <laughs> we'll take a break, y'all. I'm sure that you know that Travell and I have been writing a book, writing books, actually. And uh, for myself, microdosing has been something that's been really, really important to me for my creative process. I know people use it for all kinds of different things, but for me, it's actually really, really helpful with uh, creative, with writing and developing ideas. If you search around a bit on the internet, you'll find all sorts of people are microdosing to help feel better and to perform better. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. For me, it's been incredibly helpful. Actually, of all of the things that I've gotten from Luby Labs, those gummies have been my favorite. They're the most consistent. They taste good, um, and they're really, really fantastic. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdosegummies.com and use code FANTI to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdosegummies.com and code FANTI. Welcome back to FANTI, beautiful people. The sex in the city world of Manolo Blahniks and Cosmos has come and gone. Today, the ladies from a slice of New York City are talking about being widowed, getting divorced, and their teenage kids. The finale of the new chapter of Sex in the City called And Just Like That is here, and so much to discuss about this entire season of television. Um, we have not gotten to see the finale yet. We'll be watching it with all of you, but as this season has been coming, um, we're excited to, to talk about it. This cast is decidedly more diverse. This show is not the show that you would have known back then, but Travell is completely new to the whole franchise, not to mention the insanity of this call sheet. This year alone, Chris Noth, who plays Mr. Big, is embroiled in Me Too accusations and removed from the series. Willie Garson, who played Stanford Blatch, passed away during the filming of the series. And Kim Cattrall's Samantha Jones has a presence, albeit silent and invisible. With so much different about this series, I couldn't help but wonder... Are these white people getting it right? To get into whether or not the spinoff reboot thing was working or worked our nerves, we needed to bring in a fan of the show with a Twitter feed we could trust. So joining us to discuss is media professional Jasmine Lawson. Jasmine, welcome to Fanti. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, yes. let's 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 set the table here, if you okay. will, right? If all of us were at lunch, sitting across from each other, waiting for a quip from Samantha... I would want the conversation to start asking, 
before we get into it, what is your background with sex in the series, the series and the movie? Yes. So I definitely was not watching Sex in the City when it was on air on HBO. I was in the fourth or fifth grade. Um, so it definitely was not <laughs> something that I was tuning to HBO on a Sunday night doing. But when it would come on as syndication on other channels like the E! Network or TBS, mm-hmm. and I was coming into you know my young adulthood and I had my own TV in my own room, you know, a a little bit more control than having to be under my mama's watch. I would watch Sex and the City on my own. Um, And I enjoyed the show. I think for me also as a consumer of watching like, quote unquote, white shows or shows with mostly white cast, I always Mm -hmm. took them for what they were. Um, And that goes Mm -hmm. with Laguna Beach or something like Full House or Mm -hmm. Seventh Heaven. I always felt like an outsider just watching white people be white. And I never had such (laughs) an attachment to them the way I do Black shows, where I really did take the TV show very personal, which I think we get into that conversation where sometimes we limit what Black TV can be because we take it so personal Mm -hmm. at times. And we don't allow Black creators to just create and we have all of these rules and regulations of what it can be, which can get difficult, where I will admit that for like white people, white TV shows, I'm like, these are just these four white women doing what they do. And it was entertaining to hear how they talked about things, hear how they talked about sex in particular. Um, I think about the this gif that a lot of my friends uh, use sometimes when it has been a bit of a drought, when you see Charlotte saying, I just want to get fucked. And she's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just really want to get fucked badly. (laughs) And I'm like, now at 13, 14, could not relate. At 30 years old, I'm like, yes, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Why? And like, you can be having sex, but are you getting fucked? Are two different conversations. You know what? what? I think that's the title of the episode now. (laughs) But are you getting fucked? That's hilarious. Are you getting fucked? Um, I love that. Travel. what is your back? I don't know how you top that, but yes, what is your background? And yes, I've watched all the movies. I've watched all the movies, too. So I um have only seen, like, a couple episodes of Sex in the City. Um, And I saw them, like, in the last couple months. We went to um friend of the show, Michael Chen's house. And, you know, all of the gays were going up about Sex of the City. And so they put a couple episodes on the TV. Um, so those were the only... I, they, y'all put up the episode where... Um, oh, that Home was a Girl while got, ago. Was it a while ago? Well, y'all put yeah, up the episode was, where Homegirl yeah. got dumped using a post-it note. Um, yeah. So that, that's yeah. the extent of, of my, my knowledge. And then I've seen, I've seen one of the movies, whichever movie Jennifer Hudson is in, that's the one that I've seen. Um... But, you know, but I've been watching, you know, and just like that, you know, I just took it as a completely new show. I don't have all the background that you all have about the characters and whatnot. Um, but, you know, the show is cute or whatever. It, it's giving. Jared, I know that you you you're a, a, a patron saint of of sex in the city. Um, wait a minute now. <laughs> I don't know about that. But like <laughs> I, I have seen the entire series. I like Jasmine started. I think I started seeing some of it when it went into syndication on TBS and it was like a big deal that I was going to TBS, but also knowing that the show was not what it was on HBO. And so then in college, my roommates had like the amazing box set. The It's like if you have like the full series on DVD, it comes in this velvet pink binder that has uh, all of the episode DVDs in it. Wow. Uh, and it comes like in an acrylic case. And I was like, oh, this is extra. Like, what is this? And I was loving it. <laughs> so then I was watching the show. Um, and I was like, oh, these white women are off the chain and like just really, really enjoying them and and. For me, it has been great to be able to watch characters through so many different stages of their lives, right? So we had six seasons where I feel like from the beginning of the series to the end of the series, it just feels like a a whole evolution happens because those first two seasons are a little rough. I always say there's a big distinction between Carrie with curly hair and Carrie with curled hair. It's just, it's (laughs) different. Um, But like when we got to the movies, it was nice to see the characters a little bit later, right? Five, I think, and then seven years maybe, maybe later, 
And so I've enjoyed getting to watch these characters now. Um, And it took a while for me, and Jasmine, I'm curious if this happened to you as well. It took a while for me to really get that this is a different show. Um, And we are just seeing the same characters. Was that hard? Was that transition difficult for you too? I wouldn't say it was that difficult for me. I think, again, I came into the show just seeing it for what it was and not having like a super high expectation. I feel like Sex in the City was something that I enjoyed watching because it was an enjoyable show, but I would never have ranked it in like my top 10. Like it's not something that like, I had an attachment to. I also like am enjoying it watching with Twitter's commentary and like seeing the people have meltdowns about how different it is. And I'm like, I just didn't have that reaction. Like it's not (laughs) driving me up the wall. I do also feel like because these women are in a different part of their life, it kind of has to be a different show. I mean, that's like, I wouldn't, I personally, me don't want to be the same like bird that I am right now in my 30s, in my 60s. Like, I really hope there's a lot of growth and change (laughs) and new developments. And even the things that they were dealing with in their 30s and 40s in their original season was really like immature stuff. Things that you deal with in Mm -hmm. terms of dating in the city, finding your first loves, exploring your sexuality. And I kind of would be kind of upset if they were still dealing with that shit at 60. Like, I need a... I need a promised land. <laughs> like, I need... Period. Yeah. I need yeah. something yeah. better to look forward to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's actually been part of my critique of some other reboots that have come back. Will and Grace, they were both single again. And I was like, why are we doing that? This is sad to me that, like, they've had these things and, like, completely lost them both. Like, that's awful. And so, okay, as we get into the fan and the anti, we're going to get into the things that we love about this Focusing more on and just like that than Sex and the City, the series more broadly, but obviously those two things are 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 connected. So I will say, first things first, I like that we're getting to see more of a diverse New York City with more diverse characters, right? I think that's one of the things that's on its face is one of the bigger things that we were, you know, sold about this show coming mm-hmm. back in a way that is the show answering or responding to some of its biggest criticism, which was that it was as Jasmine put put it, white people doing white people shit, right? Like, <laughs> that it was just very un-New York in a lot of ways for a lot of different people. I am also intrigued by this reboot in the way that I'm intrigued with, by the concept of taking characters we knew from something else and inserting them into a different format of a show. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious if we're going to see that happening more because I remember back when there was a conversation about Living Single maybe having a reboot, right? And I was like... Well, it would have to be something different because if they're all still single, there's something went wrong, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? And so, like, the idea of the characters being introduced into another um, scenario or into a different format is really, really cool to me. And then I would say the last thing that I'm really enjoying about this is getting to see the characters continue their story, even knowing, like, there have been elements of it that people have hated. People hated that second movie. I actually really like the second movie the more I watch it, but mm-hmm. I recognize why it didn't vibe the same way as the first. But, like, there's something really cool about getting to see characters age over more than five seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Jasmine Travell, what are y'all enjoying about And Just Like That? So here's where I put in my disclaimer. I don't like a lot about the show, but I also don't you? hate. No, shut up. I also don't hate much about the show either. I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of where Jasmine was with the original. There's some white people shit. Like I'm taking, I'm taking the show for what it is and not trying to put anything else on top of it. And so in doing that, I find the show very entertaining, even though it is not something that I am like, I'm not waiting for the new episode to drop every week. It pops up on my little queue on Apple TV and I'd be like, oh, it's nine o'clock at night. I'm high as shit. Yeah, put it on. Why not? Right. That being said, the best part to me of and just like that is Sarita's character, Seema. She's everything. I love her. (laughs) I would watch a series about her. It's giving Dominique Devereaux. It's giving a little bit of Cookie Lion. Like, it's giving me (laughs) what I need, right? And so, like, she's the best part of the show. Can can I pause you here? What does that series look like? I'm just curious. Like, I don't know. Like, she's just like, she's just like a bad bitch. Like, she's a real estate agent, right? She's, the, the episode where she goes to the little 
painting charity thing that she's the doing black no woman painting. is having. And she's like seated on the sidewalk on a bench smoking her cigarette while everybody's doing charity work. She's like, a, that's my shit. I, I'm that's not, me. I'm not white. I can write a check. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Period. That's exactly what she said. I'm not painting. <laughs> I love that. But you, Jasmine, what do you, what do you like? What are you enjoying about, about the series? I'm pretty much the same. I think it's a very entertaining show. I think that th- there's something that they've been able to strike with being able to reinvent this friend group in what they're going through at this moment right now. To me, I don't think there's been much out there in the marketplace of like women in this age group dealing with what they're dealing with. Because I think so much yeah. about TV, especially like a show like Sex in the City or anything like a Friends, it's all about like finding your first love, finding your true love, growing up with your friend group, going through the ups and downs, even something like an Insecure where it's like, okay, you start off in your 20s, you're pretty much of a hot mess. How does like someone like uh, Issa figure out her career goals and figure Mm -hmm. out her love goals? And it's like, for me, that's probably a more personal show because I'm a Black woman that can see myself in there. But after I get through that age, it's like, and then what? I love that the show is called And Just Like That. And then what's next Mm -hmm. like what how how do you continue living life once you quote unquote me and my therapist talk about get the big three the family the job and the 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 love okay Mm -hmm. does your life end no and i love that the pilot actually starts off with like carrie losing everything basically big being like what she worked towards for all of that how does somebody rebuild themselves and it's still a comedy like every week it's very light aside from that pilot it's not that dark of a show and you get to see these women deal in real time, it's like to basically come of age again and like rediscover themselves and figure their shit out. And I haven't seen anything like that or at least have the discussions, which I think is interesting. Before we get into the anti, how do y'all feel about the fact that there's just no pandemic? In the show. Well, they did address it in the pilot. They, they, they're like, they say it's gone. They live in a future that we are craving for where the pandemic is over. And sometimes they, I think even this past episode, when they go to Frasima's birthday or they're waiting in line and Carrie's like, yeah, I haven't waited since I got my vaccine. So I kind of like they, they live yeah. in this post COVID world a little bit. Yeah. Which we need. We need that on TV because so many of the shows right, did a season set in the pandemic. And I was like, girl, I'm still in it. I don't need to see that. Like, I know what it was like because yes. I lived it, <laughs> you know? Okay, let's get into what what's not really working about the show. And Travel, I know that you have a lot written here. I'll let you start <laughs> off. What's not working for you about? And just well, like so that. this is not my personal opinion, but it's something I wanted to bring up. Because a lot of the girls are upset. And by girls in this context, I mean like queer non-binary people. They are like in a tizzy over the character Che, played by Sarah Ramirez. Um, Many people feel like the character is like a very special episode within themselves. Like they're pulled from somebody's Twitter timeline and like super stereotypical. I pulled this quote from this story that the New York Post did in which somebody says... Um, somebody says that the writers tailor Che, not for queer audiences, but for women in their 50s who still can't wrap their heads around they, them pronouns. They're not a character, but a prop. And here's the thing. I see that and don't disagree. However, comma, ain't that how white women treat black folks, queer folks in their lives? Like, it feels like an accurate portrayal of what I think these white women would do when confronted with a non-binary Latinx person who's what, non-monogamous and like all these other, you know, identifiers that Che has. Like mm-hmm. that feels right to me. Now, it, it's definitely not aspirational by any means, right? It's definitely not showing a world that perhaps I want to live in as a non-binary person, but it does feel like it reflects the world that I currently live in as a non-binary person. And to me, I feel like there should be space for those types of renderings on screen without us as the community being like, you know, fuck these motherfuckers, right? And so I wanted to bring that up because I know even with the Black characters, a lot of people, and Seema's character, a lot of people feel like the diverse elements of the show feel kind of like, 
wedged in Mm -hmm. and not as like easy as we all expect it, perhaps. No, I I agree. I think it's like, well, what world do you live in where you feel like white women actually get it right? Like, because in my world, (laughs) when I'm experiencing (laughs) these things, I feel like it is just as awkward and probably even more so problematic than how it's written for a TV show. And it actually, to me, is probably triggering how bad that they're fumbling with trying to experience this. I mean, I think the things that I like about the show are also the things that I probably have critique about. One, it is Mm -hmm. discovering and women being able to talk about their lives in this age era. But I really get kind of down when they like harp so much about how old they are every single scene. And I'm like, you're in your late 50s, almost 60s. You're not that old. But then I'm also like, maybe it's different for white women when it comes to age. I also feel like white women do have a different relationship with aging than black women Mm -hmm. do sometimes. I don't know what if it's a surface level Mm -hmm. thing or a beauty level thing. But I'm just like, y'all the same age as my mama. And my mama be at home watching Love and Hip. My mama's more young than me. Like she knows. Listen, okay, Jasmine, I follow you on Instagram, okay? And your mama be getting it, okay? So that that kind of agitates me. But to that point, now that you've introduced some Black women, some Indian women, some Hispanic women Mm -hmm. to this show, I would love for them to be able to have storylines that aren't in service to these white women. Because I think that if we were able to explore Nicole Ari Parker's character and her marriage and who she has as a mom outside of her relationship as being Charlotte's new BFF, I would love that even more. Um, I feel like we only keep the story on these three central women and obviously it's their show, but it sometimes kind of becomes like, uh, so I don't necessarily think that they're getting it wrong in terms of how these particular women would react to this quote unquote new woke world that everybody's always talking about that we're like just so super woke and we want to add wokeness to TV or whatever. But I do think that we're doing a disservice by, it is to a little bit of them being props in a sense where they just don't get to necessarily be full characters in this world. And I hope that this season that the creatives and people at play are seeing which characters, to your point, are getting enough recognition or response or fan love that you are able to build them out a little bit more if if they do additional seasons. One of the things that's interesting to me will be how we see the marketing for season two happen because all of the season one marketing is these three women. But with season two, I'm curious to see if we will see more faces in that marketing um, to kind of show the expansion of the story. Because I I am, the first time I had a moment where I was like, oh, this is something different, was when we started off with Professor Naya coming down the stairs into the um, subway, I believe in one of the first two episodes or so. Um, and I was like, oh, we're following her. And then like she landed with Miranda in, on the platform. And I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, okay, we're still doing this. Um, and so, I, but you know what I mean? But then we have started to have like little moments where they're not with, you know, Miranda right. or Charlotte or I Carrie. Love, and it's like, I love more her fertility storyline. Like the fertility storyline, yeah. her and her husband. Let's keep going there. Let's go there. Yeah. It's a very interesting dynamic of seeing this family and like she's not really in and he is like, it's it's a really, really cool story. Very much like Travel, I want to see more of Seema's story. Like, I want to like, I want to do a three day weekend with her somewhere. Like, what is what is she giving? What are her friends like? What is she eating? What is she drinking? Um, and what is she wearing? Because she's always dressed. To the Che point, though, that you were making, Travel, initially about, you know, some people saying that they're stereotype, they're, they're stereotypical or, or kind of fitting into an archetype. I feel like this, and I'm debating this with myself, but I think this is the conversation we have every time there's marginalization starting to be seen on screen for the first time. And now Che is not the first character that is, you know, non-binary, but one of very few and probably in one of the higher profile opportunities that we've seen that. I feel like that's always the conversation, right? Is that like, oh, you've tried to introduce some marginalized group into the show, whether they be non-binary or Black women or what have you. And I feel like that often happens. But I think that we're going to have this conversation more because we are seeing so many studios and networks and production companies having to address diversity, 
We are in a post-2020 world, whatever mm-hmm. that means, right? Because white people act like it has changed everything and black people are still skeptical yeah. for good reason. <laughs> um, and like, I am looking at it and I'm saying like, we're going to be seeing more shows with more diverse casts that are going to be either very white shows previously or have like very white writers rooms because they got greenlit or whatever. And I think this is going to be a continuing conversation. But can we talk about how, because many of these conversations conversations feel new to a lot of people or because we haven't yet seen characters who reflect the fullness of our experiences on screen before how we as audiences end up putting so much onto yeah. these mm-hmm. characters right that leads to the critique that a character like Che now gets when for me I'm not looking for Che to represent my own personal experience yeah. so if Che feels off to someone else, that's that's fine to me because it's also important to recognize that there are Che's out in this world, mm-hmm. right? There are those people who are constantly, you know, being the quote-unquote woke police who are constantly, you know, calling out the ways that we all can be better human beings and whatnot. Those people exist, yeah. right? And, and the other types of people exist as well. But, like, maybe you just go to another show for a different type of non-binary representation as opposed to wanting or expecting this one show to, like, check off all of your personal boxes, which I know that's a little controversial, you know, and I might change my mind tomorrow, okay? But in this moment, that's where I'm at with it. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's about community. I think the reason why people love the first Sex in the City so much is because it really did feel believable that these four women were best friends or had a genuine friendship with each other and, you know, came at that point in time, similar backgrounds in New York City and were able to like, you know, be each other's support system. And I think when you have these shows where you're trying to make them more diverse, it really actually isn't necessarily a solve to a problem sometimes. Like sometimes I get a little agitated when I see shows and it's a friend group and you kind of just cherry picked one Latinx person, one Black person, somebody that's gay, somebody that's non-binary. And it's like, we're all best friends. And though that might be a reflection of somebody's friends group, a lot of us find community of people who are like ourselves. I mean, oftentimes when I'm hanging out with my queer friends and they're like at the straight event, they're like, get me out of here. They They might be Black as well, but it doesn't necessarily be the safest space for them. And when I go places and I'm the only straight person around my queer fans, I'm like, I I see a different level of community here that I in different spaces. And we need more Mm -hmm. shows that are able to be okay with representing certain communities and full groups. And it's not just the one character, because I think you are going to get that critique or that pressure when there is only just one person representing them. When you have this show, you can't necessarily say that you have Ironically, even if, when you think back to Samantha, you have four different types of white women. They were mm-hmm. different people. People say, I'm a Miranda. And you know what you mean when people say, I'm a Miranda. You know mm-hmm. who Charlotte is and what type of white... Charlotte and Carrie are very different white women. They are white. Yes. They are straight. They like yes. men and they are different. And I think that needs to be afforded to a community. I, I wonder what Che is like around their queer friends and yes. what they're like in a space that isn't in relationship to Miranda and maybe that might look different. Well, to to both of y'all's point and more specifically to Jasmine's, Shard Jossel, who's friend of the show, um, I don't know if she said it on this show or somewhere else, but I remember her talking about how one of the ways that trans women on on screen don't feel real is that, like, they're always in instances where they, they don't have any other trans friends. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. I, I believe she was saying, like, honey, the trans girls that I know run with trans girls, right? Like, and no no, plenty of them. And so that was one of the things where I was like, I think Jasmine's point really comes up when we're talking about like, but what is Che like in her own environment? And I feel like we only get like a shred of that when like some fans run up and they might be queer, but like then it's like quickly right. gone. And I think of right. this in the same way, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but maybe not. When I worked at CNN, I worked on Black in America too, right? And Black folks' commentary about Black in America back then was that it didn't feel like my Black experience or that ain't Blackness as the way that I know it. And, like, 
really that conversation ends up being about the fact that we are so underrepresented that the only time we see ourselves reflected, if it doesn't represent our Black experience or our queer experience or our non-binary experience, whatever, then it's not genuine. And I think that hopefully now we will start to feel that less as we are starting to see more and more different ways that we get represented on film. You saying that reminded me of one of the critiques that I had of Harlem, the Amazon Prime show, which is another Mm. group of four people, um, four women, um, one of which who is a lesbian. And my main critique was that... Same thing with 20s. Shout out to Lena Waif and them. But same thing with 20s. Your lead is a queer woman, but her two best friends are, are straight. Sure, that's somebody's experience. I'm not saying it's not. But a lot of the queer people I know roll deep yeah. with other queer and trans folks. Um, even though we might have, you know, I got like one or two straight friends. <laughs> you know, like, I got a couple. Listen, you know. No, that's very <laughs> But they not rare. like... That's very yeah. real. And I think that I think that's the level of inclusion that a lot of us are searching for in TV is to see. I mean, I talk about Noah's Ark all the time. I'm sure you guys probably yes. have talked about it a million times. Yes. But I feel like that it was like the only black, mm-hmm. like gay, queer show that I can remember in my lifetime where every single person and like it gave no mm-hmm. fucks about are you in it aren't in this. Like you just gonna have to Google if you don't understand what we're Period. talking about. And I feel like that to me is like the level of what we want to see within ourselves and not to say that like, you know, we can't push ourselves, especially when we're doing these shows to be more inclusionary across the board. Um, But it gets trickier when you just don't get to see community. I mean, we can have a lot of criticism about about a a show like Pose and, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. the trauma that comes from that show. But you really got to see a certain community and a certain level of friends and friendship. And that's why it felt so raw and authentic, because you focused on a, a true group of people. My hope is that season two of this show will give us a uh, more in-depth look at each of these characters. Because I'm like, I really wanted more from Nicole Ari Parker and Chris Jackson. Like, but what's happening here, right? Like, mm-hmm. this marriage is interesting to me. I want to know more about Lisa Todd Wexley. And like, I want to know more about Professor Naya and that relationship with her husband. And like, are they going to make it? Are they not? Like, what is going to happen there? Like, I want to I want to follow well, their I stories more. I loved this last episode where the two Black women actually had a conversation. I was like, yes, yes, yes. With one yes. another. Become friends. Come yes. friends right here. <laughs> because that's yes. what would happen, right? Yes. Like, the two Black yes. people would see each other and be like, oh, sis, <laughs> honey, what is going on? Oh, girl. Oh, but I'm loving, you know, like, it happens like yes. that. So yes. hopefully they will. Yeah, I love that, too. This is one of those situations where ultimately the show that we really want, actually, we could care less if we being honest, I think, about than white women, right? Like, the real interesting thing for me, at least in this show, is everybody around the white women and what they've got going on. I will say I am interested in seeing how this trans child storyline continues mm. to unfold with, what's her name, Charlotte, something like that? Mm-hmm. Char- Charlotte's child rock. Right. I'm interested in seeing how that further develops because I do think it is interesting to see some like, to see a parent kind of go through that process of learning to love their child who is, you know, exhibiting behavior that they did not expect. Like, I think that that could be interesting depending on where it goes. Um, but yeah, every the, the most interesting parts about this show are everybody who's not part of the original series. And so they just need to give us more of those folks for sure. I think in closing, this makes me think of uh, Carrie Washington in an interview she did where she was talking about being number one on the call sheet at Scandal. And she was saying, the only time I ever felt any kind of like fear, because she's always been known as being like a very inclusive person. If I'm getting something, I want everyone to get something. And she said that she was pregnant and there was a whole episode on Melly. And like it really centered Melly on the episode. And she was like, I had a moment where I was like, oh, my God, what if this becomes about her? And she was like, it happened for a moment. And then I thought like, oh, that could also be amazing, right? There is a world where, like, these other characters start to outgrow being in proximity and attached to Charlotte, Miranda, and Mm -hmm. Carrie, where it would be interesting to see what's happening with Naya and Andre and what's happening with Lisa Todd Wexley and, like, and being able to kind of really explore those things. And, Mm -hmm. like, it becomes less and less about these women and more and more about these other women. I would love that. I want to go back to their house with that Black art. That was impeccable. (laughs) 
Yes, yes, right? That that house was amazing. And I was like loving what Charlotte did in that moment and what it said about Lisa. And it was great. So anyway, Jasmine, tell people where they can find you, follow you, and keep up with you and your mom on social <laughs> oh, media. Gosh. You can follow me, I've, uh, Jasmine B. Knowing on Twitter and Jasmine B. Grammin on Instagram. Um, and I'm sure my mom will make appearances on my social media from time to time. <laughs> Wait, you also have, you have an interior design, Jasmine Oh, something Jasmine, on Instagram too. Jasmine be living. Yes, if you want to see pictures I of love my it. apartment. <laughs> as an interior design person, like I love that as well. So make oh, sure y'all go check you. out Jasmine. Yeah, no, your apartment is gorgeous. I was like, oh my gosh, she got the new sofa. I'm totally getting what we're doing here. This is working. I'm, I'm living for it. So uh, check out Jasmine on all of the social media. We're going to take a quick break. We want to hear from y'all, though. Let us know what you think about And Just Like That. You can hit us on social media using the hashtag FantiFam. We're on Twitter and Instagram at FantiPodcast. Coming up, we got a letter from one of y'all, and you're not pleased. Listener feedback and dishonorable mentions coming up next. Did your neighbor back into your car? Bring that case to Judge Judy. Think the mailman might be the real father? Give that one to Judge Mathis. But does your mom want you to flush her ashes down the toilet at Disney World when she passes away? Now that's my jurisdiction. Welcome to the court of Judge John Hodgman, where the people are real, the disputes are real, and the stakes are often unusual. If I got arrested for dumping your ashes in the Jungle Cruise, it would be an honor. I don't want to be part of somebody getting a super yacht. I don't know at what point you want to go into this, but we've had a worm bin before. Available free right now at MaximumFun.org. Judge John Hodgman, the court of last resort when your wife won't stop pretending to be a cat and knocking the clean laundry over. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tyson Fights. A back-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum, and I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit, and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Lublin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. All right, welcome back. Now we're going to get into our listener feedback segment. Your opportunity to tell us some wondrousness. Okay, or in the case of our listener letter today, maybe you want to call us to the carpet. All right. Um, So this letter comes from Rebecca, who says, I wonder if I might ask you to reconsider something that might seem tiny to you. At the very end of the episode of episode 101. I love this episode, by the way, Rebecca says um, it wasn't part of the episode proper. It was the teeny clip at the end. That's the blooper that our editor and producers choose and put into the show. Right. Little, little extra razzle dazzle for y'all. Um, so if you if you aren't listening past the credits, OK, you should be. Thank you very much. You miss a blooper every single week. And I, I will say it's like. The little, the little icing at the end, because um, yeah. I never know what it's going to be. And unless sometimes there's a moment where I'm clear, like, that's eh, probably going to be the blooper. In which case was this one. Right. <laughs> and so Rebecca continues, it was Jared saying, oh, the beard hides the double chin. Oh, the beard is staying. Um, so Rebecca says, I have no idea whether anyone here has a double chin. And let me be clear right off the bat. I am not calling anyone fat. I use the, in parentheses, they say, I use the word fat as a reclamation. I am fat myself and very involved in fat politics. But I know that many people have not reclaimed the word. I also know it's possibly... It's possible nobody in this situation is is fat by any means. This isn't about that. This is about the fact that a double chin is a code for fatness. Here, the automatic supposed negativity of fatness got slipped in without any critique. In a fatness-neutral world, nobody would mention using a beard to hide a double chin. That comment wouldn't make sense in a fatness-neutral world. Any person can feel any way about their body. Any person can make any comment about fatness or about themselves. Any person can try to make their body be thinner or look thinner if they want. But casting fatness 
or little details or codes generally associated with fatness as negative without any critical context lends your fanti voice to the overall mainstream values about fatness, which, as you know, are that fatness is bad, bad, bad. The quickness and playfulness of the clip make it subtle, but they don't remove the fat is bad equation that makes the clip legible in the first place. Thanks for reading. Thanks for your show. So... I brought up this this letter because, you know, one, we've had conversations about like fat phobia um, and the ways that it pops up in, you know, ways that we recognize, ways that we don't recognize in terms of our own con- personal conversations, our relationships to our bodies. We had a whole episode with um, Jessica Rehall Hall and, and Kevin Carnell um, called um, Baby Got Back Fat talking about this earlier in the pandemic and whatnot. Um, And so, you know, I read this email and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe there is something here. Um, But I had a question before I turn it over to you, Jared. I had a question, not necessarily for you to answer, Jared, but also just for like, you know, the people who are listening, help, help me grow, help me learn. Um, And one of the things that struck me about Rebecca's letter is this idea of like casting um, personal comments that an individual has about their own lived experience um, as like within a broader context of like broader societal and, uh, you know, anti, uh, anti-fatness, fat phobia. And, and it made me think like, is a double chin always code for fatness? Um mm. Is it or can it be a code for fatness for sure? Is it was it a code for fatness in the way that you mentioned it? I don't know. You have to answer that. But also, can your personal feelings about what's going on on your own body, you know, ever just be about what's going on on your body and not the broader isms and obias of our society? Those are the things that like this letter made me like think about and like want to to work through. I've been trying to figure out how to respond to this letter since we got it however long ago it came in because in the moment it pissed me off. I was like, god damn, I can't even have critique about my own body. The fuck? <laughs> um and to be clear, a lot of me is still there. <laughs> right. Noted. Noted. Um Noted. a lot of me is still there. I also have to acknowledge that intent is one thing and impact is another. And the ways that we address all kinds of different things have impact beyond ourselves. And so I don't know where I am on this. As you talk about, like, the language that was used and what it meant, like, I have been dealing with my own body and being like, I've gained 40 or 50 pounds over the course of, you know, seven years or whatever, right? And like, now I've been being more active and, you know, starting to work out more and things like that. And like, just yesterday, and quite honestly, the reason we decided to actually talk about this as opposed to passing to something else, um, just yesterday, I got on the scale and I was like, oh, I've lost 10 pounds. And I was like, proud that like, My doctor has told me that I need to work on these things. I've been working Mm -hmm. on them, and I'm starting to see results. But I immediately then felt guilt, more so fear, about celebrating that in public because then I'm fatphobic, right? And it's like, I don't think there's a, a clear line of, like, I can't even criticize my own body or celebrate it. without it being offensive to someone. And I'm not really sure how I feel about that because it's also like very irksome and and I don't know where I am on it yet. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because I can uh, see and understand a critique that's like even you specifically or you generally, you know, talking about your own relationship to your own body and how some of those thoughts and feelings and beliefs can ultimately be, ultimately be rooted in fat phobia and like, perpetuate right fat phobia Mm -hmm. to the to whomever may be hearing these reflections that you have about your body i get that i understand that and at the same time i'm wondering like i mentioned if there's ever a way to to engage in 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 whatever your relationship is to your body um at that time and not have to be concerned perhaps is is the way about how it might fall on other people's ears. But maybe that's a little bit of privilege, right? Like maybe that is part of the problem 
What kind by of which privilege? I mean, you're giving me a, a screw face. What I mean by that is we do grow up in a world and we are in a world right now where we don't second guess or think deeper about some of these references that we might make that ultimately are rooted in anti-fatness, right? Even the idea Mm -hmm. that like a doctor might be telling us that we need to use weight and the parameters that they use for that justification is this made up concept known as body mass index. Or, you know, when they say, if you're this tall, you're not supposed to be over this weight or whatever the case may be. A lot of that shit is made up. A lot of that shit is rooted in anti-fatness and fat phobia. Does that then mean... And and all of that, yeah. yeah. And so then does that mean if we are engaging in any serious manner with those, those things that our doctor is telling us, are we automatically perpetuating fat phobia? Like, are we automatically part of this effort to tell fat people or larger bodied people that something is wrong with them as they are. Um, And what does it mean to be wrong in a context of fatness versus being right? It does being right mean you have to be skinny? Does it mean your BMI needs to reflect that which McCall? I don't know. As somebody who also has gained a lot of poundage, particularly in this pandemic, right? And who is well over Miss Body Mass Index for her own shape, honey. Okay. I get it. You know, I'm, I don't know. I think maybe this is a, a fuller episode that we need to do down the, down the road. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that I'm struggling with. And I, I you kind of touched on what my concern was is like whenever we hear someone saying like, Something that you said or something that you did offended me. And I don't even think Rebecca necessarily says that she was offended, but talks about how it rang. And so, like, whenever I hear that coming from someone, I'm like, I will take it and pause with it. Uh, But I'm still not sure how I feel about it to be just, yeah, you know, 100. And that's okay. We're going to wrestle with it. Yes. Thank you for your letter, Rebecca, and for listening. We're going to turn now to our dishonorable mentions. These are the stories of people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or for their stupid. Um, I want to first give a mention um, to Chesley Christ. For those of you that know Chesley Christ from um, from television or from having been Miss America in 2019, she's also a correspondent, um, an Emmy-nominated nom- correspondent from Extra. She, uh, it was announced right, um, I saw today, right before we came in and taped that she died by suicide um, today or, you know, within the last little bit of time here. And so I just wanted to send some love and, and respect and appreciation in her direction and, and to her family and all of that, because it's really sad to see a, a Black journalist go and we end up having, you know, conversations about mental health and all the time here. And then I also end up having more specific conversations about mental health when it comes to journalists and things like that. So I just wanted to shout her out, Chesley Christ. So... I also want to give a very different kind of shout out to this new grocery store in Atlanta. It's called Nourish and Bloom. It's a Black-owned autonomous grocery store if you're in the Atlanta area. I believe it's in Fayetteville. I saw this story on abcnews.com, and I just thought it was very cool. I really like Amazon Fresh, which is an automated store that we have here. And I was like, oh, there's a Black one? (laughs) So I was super excited about it and hoping that for the folks that are there in the Atlanta area that y'all can go and check it out because it's, um, it's brand new. Again, it's called Nourish and Bloom. You can find out more information uh, about them online. Finally, I want to give an honorable mention to Sherilyn Eiffel. She is the former executive director over at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And one of my very favorite legal voices that I know she's now on the shortlist to be the nominee for Supreme Court Justice. And While I hope that she gets the opportunity, I also would be sad that we probably would not see her contributing on television anymore. But I also wanted to shout out to every Black woman, attorney, judge, or anybody that's a part of the judicial world with special emphasis on these specific Black women who are going to be nominated because these white people are about to probably take y'all through the ringer. I can't imagine the things that are of concern for you all right now, but I just wanted to shout you all out and, you know, say shout out to Black women who are doing the damn thing all over the place. So that's that. Yeah. And I'll just add that there is a Twitter account slash campaign called Sister Scotus, Sister Scotus, excuse me, um, that has been like, you know, pushing <laughs> this campaign um, okay. to get a black woman. Um, so if you want to follow them on Twitter to stay up to date with, you know, who who I who who they have ideas about who should be the nominee and whatnot, Sister with an A, Scotus on Twitter is their handle. I love that. 
Um, all right. So for my first honorable mention, I just, you know, want to note, you know, Miss Rihanna um, is expecting her first child with a one a dollar sign app Rocky. Um, and I love that. For <laughs> okay. Her. I love that for her. Now, this likely means we won't be getting an album in 2022. Um, oh, you can forget that. And so it is what it is. But you know what? I am happy about this generation of, like, Black celebrity kids that we now have, right? With, like, Northwest in them and Blue Ivy and now Rihanna's child, like, Cardi B's Blue children. Listen. These kids are gonna run shit, and I'm I'm ready for it. Listen, I mean, we're not um, leaving them anything as, as in terms of an earth, but other well, than that, you um, know, <laughs> they'll figure it out. It's all right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then I want to give an honorable mention to another black acting icon, and this time it's going mm-hmm. out to the one and only Lynn Motherfucking Whitfield. Now you may remember her as a number of roles, okay? Most importantly to me, Miss Lady May Greenleaf from Greenleaf. I they mean, say that there's a, a spinoff that they are going to do with her character. So I'm already tuned oh, in. I'm already tuned what? in, Oprah Winfrey Network. I'm already tuned in. Yes, they're doing a spinoff with her character. But you want to <sighs> know the character that really did something for moi? It has to be Dorothea Garibaldi. Now, y'all looking at me like, who the hell is Dorothea Garibaldi? Dorothea Garibaldi. Who are you talking to? Dorothea Garibaldi. (laughs) She was the mother of Raven on the Cheetah Girls. And I was watching Cheetah Girls, okay, the last few days. And I said, you know what? She's acting. She's doing that good acting, Jared. She's doing the good acting, particularly in Cheetah Girls 2, okay? And so I just wanted to give her a little bit of flowers. We see you, girl. Thin line between love and hate, sis. We see you. That's it. I'm done. I just, I, you know, I need to always prepare myself for anything and everything to always come back to Fantasia (laughs) or the Cheetah Girls. And I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Um, I want to now take us into... Black history is happening every day. So this... I mean, mind you, as we enter Black History Month, um, where now we are one year into Black History is happening every day, um, as we started last year on Black History Month, because we just said it wasn't enough. I want to give honor to one Janet the Fuck Jackson. This documentary on Lifetime, mind you, 638 hours, but an incredible <laughs> documentary of her story. Incredible? I, this, I loved this documentary. I thought it was fantastic. I thought, mm. like, they had so much archive footage of her life that, like, was never... Who would have known that they that Renee sure. was filming through most of the time of their marriage and no one had ever seen the footage? Um, or getting to hear her tell her story. There were certain moments where I was like, huh, okay. But, like, overall, I thought it was really, really fantastic. And I thought, like, even as a fan of Janet Jackson... I thought that I learned so much about her life and her story and how she got where she was. And I just thought that the documentary did a beautiful job. If you haven't seen it yet, it's called Janet Jackson, period. And it's on Lifetime. What is what is your critique here? I have no, it's not a critique. I just don't, I mean, there's not much revelation. Well, yes, the archival footage that you highlight is is great, but they glossed over a lot. It was very, it I was mean, very, tell me, tell me you were abused by your father without telling me you were abused by your father. I'm talking about like discipline, quote unquote, discipline I, abuse. It was really interesting. Well, but again, to your point, what you were about to say, right? She executive producer. She gonna tell y'all what she want to tell y'all. And guess what? We well, just have to accept it. I think that we look at Joe Jackson as an abuser for a lot of reasons. But I think that all because of them he was abusing the family, the kids. well, because he was abusing those kids. But like... <laughs> I can't tell her what that was, right? I mean, Very one of the much things so. in the documentary, one of the things in the documentary that 
rang for me, and we're spending way more, more time on this than we really intended, but, like, one of the things that really stuck out to me was her saying that she never wanted to do music. She wanted to go to college. And her dad was like, you're going to sing. That broke my heart. I was like, oh, you don't even want to do this shit. Mind you, it turned out well. Anyway, <laughs> shout out to the Janet Jackson documentary. You all can check that out. Uh, it's on Hulu now and from um, the folks over at Lifetime. We also want to just say thank you before we go to all of you who participated in the first Fanti Fridays Live. Um, for all of you that tuned in, we're going to do one every single month. Um, we're going to be doing it on uh, a Friday that we uh, will be choosing. I believe it's going to be on the last Friday of every month. So that for those of you that are subscribed, we can talk about the shows that we've done, um, the things that we have coming up. Because for the folks that are on Fanti Friday Live, we also teased out some of the things that we have coming up soon. Yes, it was our, our special salon. So shout out to all of y'all who who did that. If you would like to be part of the next salon, then you need to become a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Okay? (laughs) If this conversation today piqued your interest, you can go check out another episode, uh, episode 34, where we talked about the Real Housewives of Atlanta. We didn't realize until this that we don't really spend a lot of time like on specific shows. So that was another deep dive on a very specific show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you leave us a five-star rating and a review. Let us know what you think about the show. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, we're at Fanti Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can use the hashtag FantiFam, or you can send an email to Fanti at MaximumFun.org. Become a financially contributing member of the Fanti Fam by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. And as always, our music is brought to you by the one and only Core Reese. That's C-O-R dot E-C-E, wherever you get slay-worthy audio. And our graphics are done by the folks over at Moonhouse Creative, led by Ashley Wen. Our producer is Laura Swisher. <laughs> and our editor is Will Hagel. <laughs> This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Oh, wait, wait. I I was having fun. Sorry, go ahead. You'll be all right. We got a show to do, sis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's such a good <laughs> I just bumped the table, so Laura's going to be pissed at me. Okay, goodbye. I bumped into the table again.